0: I promise this morning we are going to talk about this word, but I want to start you off with a question that goes in the other direction, okay? And the question is this, um, have you ever really been let down by somebody before? Um, It's not much fun, is it? Yeah, not a lot of fun. Um, Sometimes when that happens to us, it it really is our fault. Um, it's, It's on us. That you know we got let down. Like for example, if uh, if I hope or expect that Morgan is going to put on a Superman costume and fly over to my house and hold up the back end of my car while I change my brakes, um, I'm going to be disappointed. Uh, I mean, it's, I, that one is on me. I get what I deserve. You're still my hero, Morgan. Don't worry. But um, so, but sometimes we do that, right? Our uh, hey, baby. Our ex. <laughs> Our expectations, it's, it's on us, right? It's our fault. Um, that's one thing, but what about those other times in life when um, it, it isn't on us? Um, when our expectations are realistic, uh, when what we expect or need is it's something that really matters, and somebody has really promised to come through for us, and they don't. They drop the ball, and, and there we are. And, and, and in those times, in those moments, at, at best we're disappointed, sometimes we're devastated though. I mean, that, that's, that's what happens when expectations are crushed like that. That is the world that Jesus came into. I think it's really important for us to understand that. Many of the people of God felt that way during this time. Now, wh- why did people feel this way? Well, they, they had an Old Testament full of promises about God's salvation, about God's restoration, you know, ab- about a renewed life for the people of God in this incredible destiny and future. But here they were living in dark times. You know, that, that, that passage we just read, you know, people walking in, in darkness, living in a land of deep darkness. That's a reference sure to sin But but it's also about dashed hope. It's it's, it's about wanting and knowing that God was going to come through, but here they are just before Christ came. And it had been 400 years since there had been a prophet or a leader in Israel, and spiritually speaking, you want to use the word dead church? That was the state of the church. Worship had ground down into rituals and rules and institutionalism. And so here are God's people, right? And they've got this incredible history. You know, filled with the Exodus and these high moments with God and deliverance and all of this. Blessing, leading and but it's all in the past. It's all in the past. In their present though, it feels like God has checked out. So, yeah, they look back and they see God moving among them, but they look around in the present and it feels like God has moved on or maybe God has moved out. For them, God's promises about a future and a Messiah who would save them. It's the use of the word hope where, you know, they, they still hope for it, but it's probably not gonna happen. It's just been too long. God God has moved on. They've wished and they've waited and they've hoped for so long with nothing to show for it. And so their hope has really become this gloom and this darkness that we read about in Isaiah. I think we need to pray, let's do that. Father God, we, we rejoice in Jesus. And God, we stand on the other side of history. Father, we, we can look back and we see what you were up to, and it's a marvelous thing in our sight. And so, God, today, I, I just ask that you would restore to us the hope of our salvation, hope of a life with you, God, that, that this word will move from being a wish to a solid fulfillment in us, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. I want you to hear it again. Uh, Isaiah 42, one through four. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice and he will not falter Or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. In his teachings, the islands or in brackets nations will put their hope. Now, this prophecy that we get from Isaiah 42, it's actually a redefinition of us for hope. And for us, Hope is a very soft word in the English language. It's a very weak word, but here it really gets redefined by Scripture when it says, in his word, the nations will put their hope. Now, what this does not mean is that in Christ, we we kind of have a better horse to bet on than we had before. The Greek word here for hope, okay, is is elpida or elpis, not to be confused with Elvis or anybody like that. But this is a biblical hope, okay? This is God's version of hope. And hope here means a absolute trust in an outcome, okay? This is being 100% sure this is a guarantee. That old phrase, it is knowing that you know. Uh, Hebrews talks about this. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 one says, it is being fully confident and assured in what we long for and we do not yet see. Peter digs into this for us in uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, when he writes, and I'm not gonna read the whole thing. You can read it on your own. I'll read a clip of this, and it's a bit of a paraphrase. But Peter says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth." into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Why? Because it's kept in heaven for you. So what Peter's saying to us is this. He's saying, look, when Jesus was born into this world, his birth pointed to our new birth. Um, When Jesus came to us and lived among us, and died for us and was resurrected for us, everyone who dares to call on him as Lord and Savior, we are born, reborn into a living hope. What does living hope mean? It means it is alive, it is real, it is like a stone, it is like concrete. And that's why the the writer of Hebrews also writes this in 619. He says, we have this hope As an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So again, hope in Christ, that's not a wish. That's not a pipe dream. That is not a daydream. We are anchored in Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna talk to you more about an anchor in just a minute here. I also love here, Peter does something else here that's pretty clever. He brings up this idea of inheritance And I love that Peter ties salvation into our inheritance. You know, one one of the things that I don't think we do of enough in church, we don't talk enough about heaven. We don't talk enough about, about eternal life and what it's like in the church. Peter, though, does not make that mistake. He takes our inheritance and our salvation and he holds it up front and center that believing in Jesus Christ, it means life forever. It means a spiritual inheritance that the government can't tax, right? Nobody can steal it, take it away. It is ours. Have y'all ever known somebody, okay, I need to qualify that. Have you ever known a regular person, meaning middle-class person, who, so far the answer is yes, a middle-class person who has um, an inheritance coming? They got a big inheritance coming. They might not know exactly how much Okay? They don't know when it's coming, but it changes their outlook. You ever know anybody like that? That they just don't sit around wringing their hands over their retirement. You know? They're not desperate over, you know, grief or debt in their life right now. They're not. Why? Because a fortune is coming their way and they know it. But see, not only do they not worry that much about the the, the present. They also don't worry a whole lot, or the the future, but they're not as worried in the present either. Um, Peter talks about this in verse six. He says, in all of this, meaning your inheritance, your salvation, you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What Peter's doing here is he's making the point that when our hope is in Jesus Christ, who has won the spiritual victory, okay, he has conquered sin and death, and then we grasp that we are saved, and, and we have a guaranteed incorruptible inheritance, it makes what happens down here a whole lot less scary. And you run into people like that. I remember, golly, the last election, okay, people were losing their minds. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You'd run into those Christians that would say, all right, look, I might not be you know, wild about the candidate either, but you know what, I remember who's on the throne. I remember how the story ends. I know who I am. You know What do they do? They go back to their salvation. And that's having that mindset of our salvation and our inheritance. And see, so for us, what we have with, with hope, it's incredible. We have a hope that is anchored in the past, okay? So it's anchored in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which, which already happens. That, that inheritance, it speaks to today. It absolutely speaks to today that all of this is temporary. All of this is fleeting. That, that what's going on right now, that is not how our story ends. And it points to the future, to life forever with God, where as John writes in Revelation, there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because that old order, that we're experiencing right now, that order is passing away. It's pretty good stuff, right? Okay, well, to further encourage you on this theme of hope, uh, placing our hope in Jesus Christ instead of paychecks and politics and whatever happens next... I want you to hear from the words of David, okay? This is King David in the Psalms. By the way, David is a man who prays his heart out in the Psalms. Listen to this prayer. Uh, This is Psalm 25, one and two. He says, in you, Lord, my God, I put my trust or my hope. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Okay, now David prays that, his first two verses, and after he says those words, it's as if suddenly a light goes on, and he realizes he just messed up. He, he heard what he said, and he remembers the truth, and then he says this in verse 3, no, wait a minute, Lord, no one who hopes in you, God, will ever be put to shame. That's telling you something about biblical hope. That is telling you something about what we have in Jesus Christ. And folks, that is why every single Christmas season, we basically do the same thing. We remind ourselves of the story. You know, a whole lot happens in the course of a year, right? I mean, and there's a whole lot up for grabs, right? Well, we stop and we remember the story of Christ's birth for four straight weeks. And then on Christmas Eve, we remember Jesus' birth. We remember that the Son of God became one of us for 33 years, and he told us about God. He showed us the kingdom of heaven. He he died for us. He calls us into this new life. And so we do that. And and we also uh, remind ourselves of something else, and I love this. We remind ourselves every Christmas that Isaiah... In chapter 9, verse 6, he wasn't just speaking to ancient believers. He was speaking to 21st century Christians when he said this, for to us, and that us, that's all of us right now. That isn't a way back then us. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And he will be called our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, Our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. And so, what I want to do today, okay, here's what I want to ask you as we start to lay on the plane. I want to ask you, as I've asked myself all week, what is it that we are anchored to? What have we put our hope and our trust in? Is it people? Is it things? Is it outcomes? Or is it Jesus Christ? What or who, more specifically, are we anchored to? And let me tell you, as somebody who grew up boating, okay, my family had a sailboat and we had a motorboat. Uh, I, I boated uh, the intercoastal waterway of North Carolina for years of my life. The deal with my parents was if I finished my homework, I could take the boat out. You never saw a kid finish his homework so fast in your life. But, but I did that, and I remember one time specifically, I, uh, I got my friends together for a camping trip. So we loaded up the boat, and uh, we went over to Masonboro Island, which is an island right, you know, really right across the, the waterway from my house. So we went over there. We got our fishing gear out, we, our camping gear. We had our surfboards. We were just going to do it all. And uh, so we spent the night, had a great time. The next morning, I came back out to the boat just to check on it because you do that. And guess what? It wasn't there. Do you know why it wasn't there? I anchored in a sandy bay. And, 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 and I know the water, okay? And I'm thinking, well, you know, there's no real current here. Yeah, but there is a tide, Steve. There's a tide that goes out and comes in. So I get there and the boat's not there. I spent, we all spent hours looking for our boat and finally found it washed up in some reeds. We got it back and my parents never found out. That's, <laughs> except for my mother who's watching this right now and she's going, I knew it, I knew it. But it, it, it matters, It matters so much what what we are anchored to. And what happened to my boat is a little word. It's called adrift, okay? That's why I tell that story. I want you to know any life that is not anchored to Jesus Christ is adrift. It doesn't matter how much fun you're having right now. It doesn't matter how much money you're making, you know. None of that matters. Life apart from Jesus Christ is a life adrift, and adrift is no way to live this life, and adrift will certainly not get us in to the next life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the one and the only. And I want to I bring you up, uh, uh, bring up another little phrase. I almost forgot this one. Uh, in Isaiah forty-two four, there's a there's a key phrase there, and it says this about Jesus: He will not falter or be discouraged. And what that means is that there is nothing nothing that will stand in the way of Jesus Christ reaching the cross. There is nothing that will discourage or keep him from being the Lord of your life. You're absolutely your salvation when you call on him. And see, going back to the beginning of the sermon, that's what the ancient world found out. You know, in the beginning, they're all walking around in gloom and darkness and Lord, where are you? But wow, did God come through for them in Jesus Christ. And he came through for us In the same way, by sending Jesus Christ, our living hope, who, by the way, Peter also calls the hope of glory. Let me pray for us. Father God, what you have done for us is marvelous. Father, the intricacy, the beauty of this whole mission, the mission of Jesus Christ, the love that he demonstrated God, is, it, it's amazing, all the way through the Gospels with the people he touched and spoke to and redeemed, and like we said last week, in, in loving the unloved, turning them into the beloved. And then, Father, to think that this birth ended 33 years later in death, a death that would rescue everyone, and that here, 2,000 years later, would, would, would put us into living hope. Father God, I ask you today to minister your hope to anyone who feels hopeless, discouraged. Father, it happens to us as, as, you know, before and after Jesus. God, would you just minister your hope to us and cause us to put all of our trust, all of our focus, all of our affection, and even our action, everything we do in life on Jesus this season. In Christ's name I pray, amen.